Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, Goliath Technologies, and Policy Pack Software. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. VMworld was held this week. It was once again a virtual event and they packed a whole lot in, so fair warning, The first several minutes of this episode are going to be around VMworld announcements. I didn't get to attend as many sessions as I would have liked, but the few that I did get to see I enjoyed. I caught the first few sessions on Tuesday evening and, well, nighttime in Ireland, and I think, in my impression, the overarching messaging used throughout the event was around multi-cloud support with a healthy dose of security thrown in too. Some of the announcements included VMware Cloud on AWS Outposts. This will provide a cloud-like experience and elasticity in the data center for those who have resources they need to continue to host on-premises but still want the benefits of the cloud. They keyed in on the fact some applications and workforces cannot tolerate things like latency issues that might reside with cloud-hosted solutions and may also have strict data compliance they need to account for plus may prefer the performance of local data processing too. So obviously having the ability to have elasticity on-prem in your own data center to fit those needs all sounds good. Uh, It may sound a little familiar to those who are maybe rocking Azure Stack, but oddly while it was just announced, it won't actually be available until Q3 of next year. So quite a long lead time on that. Rather cool was the announcement of Project Arctic, which promises to bring cloud connectors into vSphere, allowing you to bring visibility from vSphere to your cloud resources, streamline management, and importantly, make hybrid cloud the default model going forward. I noticed that Project Arctic and also some of the other ones did not follow the Californian naming convention that VMware and Apple seem to be on, like you know, Project Monterey, and so forth. But what did use the Californian name was the announced Project Capitola, which sounded really interesting to me. With this project, they will allow you to bring different types of memory, be that DRAM, PMEM, NVMe, etc., into a single tier. So the way my simple mind thinks of this is kind of like how you can pool different types of storage together and present it as a single tier for consumption. But obviously, this would now apply to memory, so pretty cool. During the event, they also talked about fast-tracking enterprise apps to secure multi-cloud, leveraging Tanzu with Kubernetes. They're also talking about supporting developers and ops, so not just one or the other, so, you know, the whole DevOps buzz. Also announced around Tanzu was a community edition, so pretty cool. The VMware Edge Compute Stack was also announced that they claim is a purpose-built integrated stack for small-scale VM and container compute, bringing edge-optimized HCI and SDN to ensure performance and scale. It should fit into a typical deployment purpose-built so you can deploy edge-native applications at the far edge. 
They stated they are launching VMware Edge Compute Stack for smaller edge locations like manufacturing sites or retail stores. Now in tech preview is Project Cascade. To me, this sounded like a project that layers in several products and services to enhance support of Kubernetes to provide even more flexibility. They stated it is a continuation of the overall evolution of vSphere, starting with Project Pacific to integrate Kubernetes deeply into vSphere, and Project Cascade then uses that and the Kubernetes operator model to make Kubernetes the infrastructure abstraction layer to VMware Cloud. The goal is a model for features operational teams endorse, a cloud consumption surface that gives operators flexibility for geographic spanning, governance, resiliency across any Kubernetes landscape. And if you think I've said Kubernetes a lot, then <laughs> you should have attended VMworld because it was said a whole lot more. Project Ensemble was announced that integrates and automates multi-cloud management would be realized. This means that all different VMware cloud management capabilities, self-service, elasticity, metering, and more are in one place. You can access all the data, analytics, and workflows to easily manage your cloud deployments at scale. Also discussed was the existing VMware cloud disaster recovery which I believe is the artist formerly known as Datrium, you know, they acquired Datrium, and it is being made available for access by managed service providers. Awesome tool to have in your tool belt if the worst happens and you're hit with ransomware. Dell Apex Cloud Services with VMware Cloud was also announced, which is a new collaboration between Dell and VMware, which represents essentially an API into Dell's Apex Cloud Services capabilities combined with VMware Cloud. This new option is an easy subscription that lets you get up and running in as little as 14 days and includes a financially backed SLA of 99.99% uptime. Big claim. A small but very notable note was that VMware made a commitment to offer carbon neutral cloud by 2030. So that's not carbon negative like Microsoft, but carbon neutral. Still, it should help. SASE, which is S-A-S-E, took center stage with the awesome Sean Bass talking about it extensively. SASE combines SD-WAN capabilities with cloud-delivered security functions, including cloud web security, zero-trust network access, and firewalling. These capabilities are delivered as a service across both the near and far edge locations from a global network of points of preference. It seems they've been taking a lot of the products they've acquired or even just developed and combining them into this really awesome secure platform. VMware Workspace ONE Intelligence is announced as coming to Horizon. Workspace ONE Intelligence delivers insights, analytics, and automation for the Workspace ONE platform and empowers customers to improve employee experience, streamline IT operations, and enhance security. By integrating Horizon data into Workspace ONE Intelligence, IT admins will be able to get visibility into mobile devices, physical and virtual desktops, and applications in a single centralized location. They say this end-to-end -end visibility will enable admins to streamline management and get a holistic view of user experience in their organization. 
Near and dear to my heart is application packaging and management. And much to my surprise, VMware ThinApp appears to be sticking around. Its demise was rumored on for several years. And during a VMUG event, I pointed out that end of life was less than 18 months away, according to the product lifecycle page. And that has since been updated and the end of life has been pushed out. It is unclear to me if this is going to be like kept in maintenance mode, just applying fixes as needed and re-upping the version to more stable releases, or if it's going to be under like active development with new features. But it is clearly in the picture going forward, which to me is great news because we're really running out of options around isolating applications and just application packaging and delivery in general. Probably more substantially, during the event, it was demoed and announced that app volumes will be getting dynamic app delivery capabilities. And this will be in the form of app volume app stacks that are dynamically delivered once the user launches an application. So no need to mount the apps all at once, maybe into the image or on um, startup of the machine, which can hurt performance. And also, you just lose scalability when you're putting app stacks in in that way. Performance will just be hit. Jeff had a really nice demo showing off publishing different app stacks to different users on the same single Windows 10 multi-session machine through the Horizon portal. So it seems like a winner. I know this is something that Liquidware Flex app has been offering for a while, but it is great that VMware App Volumes customers are going to be able to benefit from that feature too. On the EUC side, they announced a unique partnership with Intel to bring forward a joint solution that creates a direct link between Intel vPro powered silicone and VMware Workspace ONE cloud native endpoint management. They say that with the partnership, customers will be able to manage endpoints independent of the OS. Key capabilities include the ability to remotely wake a device, patch it, and place it back into sleep. You'll remotely be able to wipe a device out of band for device recovery and gain better insights into experiences such as Wi-Fi performance and battery health. They say this can result in better security, faster remediation of issues, and less disruption. Sounds pretty interesting. Is it just going to be using Wake on LAN or is Intel going to be enabling some non-Wake on LAN feature? I don't know. Also announced over the course of the event was the fact that ControlUp's new Remote DX and Scalpy solutions are now available to VMware for Horizon VDI and Desktop as a Service customers as part of the ControlUp and VMware Extended Partnership. If you didn't already know, VMware actually is a reseller for ControlUp's products, but before now Remote DX and Scalpies was only available to those not going through VMware, but now the new Digital Employee Experience Management solutions are available to VMware Horizon customers. Some overall Horizon messaging was around a roadmap to make it multi-cloud, hybrid, and all of that good stuff, but importantly to make the management more seamless for these types of setups. So it seemed like a pretty timely EUC messaging and kind of in-fitting with the overall overarching theme of the event. So like even during the, I don't, I wouldn't call it the keynote, but the general session at the beginning of the event when they were talking about pretty much everything 
that was announced. It was all, you know, multi-cloud, 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 security, security, security. And the EUC side was no different. It was uh, very much around security kind of front and foremost. They seem to focus on security mainly for EUC, but also the idea of this multi-cloud support too. Also announced is that the Realize Automation is getting some enhancements and support for Microsoft Azure, as well as some Kubernetes announcements. The Realize Operations will now monitor all AWS services and improve its multi-cloud support with enhancements for monitoring Azure and Google Cloud Platform services. Again, over the course of the event, Microsoft also published their own announcement article stating that they have added two new regions for Azure VMware solution, which is Brazil South and East US 2. And with this, Azure VMware solution is now available in 17 Azure regions globally. Also included in the announcement was the VMware HCX Enterprise Edition being now generally available on Azure VMware solution to simplify bulk live migrations from on-premises. VMware Site Recovery Manager for disaster recovery is now also generally available. VMware HCX over SD-WAN is now supported on Azure VMware solution. VMware vRealize Suite is also now available. You will have the ability to run commands for Azure VMware solution, but only as a preview for right now and that's published in the Azure VMware Solution Portal. They say with that feature, customers can now easily run management tasks from Azure that require higher privileges. Interestingly, Citrix VDI on Azure VMware Solution is now supported. They've said this will extend their current partnership with Citrix and give more options to customers to easily migrate Citrix VDI running on VMware to Azure. And Citrix, on their part, have announced official support for Azure VMware Solution 2. Maybe not taking big focus during the event, but also announced was VMware ESXi version 7 update 3. I won't include absolutely everything here, but uh, what's new included vSphere memory monitoring and remediation and support for snapshots of PMEM VMs. Uh, vSphere memory monitoring and remediation collects data and provides visibility of performance statistics to help you determine if application workload is regressed due to memory mode. There's also extended support for disk drive types, HDD, SSD, SAS, SATA drives. It was stated that with vSphere 7 update 3, admins can configure vCLS virtual machines to run on specific data stores by configuring vCLS VM data store preferences per cluster now. And admins can define policies to specify how the vSphere distributed resource scheduler should place these machines and other groups of workload VMs. So a little more granularity control there. There's also NVMe over TCP support, some new ESX CLI commands and more. And I provide a link to absolutely everything that I've talked about on this episode on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 197. A VMware vCenter 7 Update 3 also got released. It contains some of the same features announced for ESXi, like the different disk type support and new memory monitoring, but also some unique enhancements, like for example, Support for MTU size greater than 9,000 bytes. So with this version, you'll be able to set the maximum transmission unit 
on a vSphere standard switch to more than 9,000 bytes to support switches with larger packet sizes. I'm not sure how long this episode is going to be. I'm looking over and I'm already seeing that I've gone past 20 minutes and it's just the VMworld announcements. I have actually more uh, that I could cover, but I'm going to cut it there. I believe some of the uh, video content is going to be available next week so you can catch up with more of the announcements. You could also just go out and um, read some of the VMware blogs, which is where I got most of the information for my notes. Well, with that, on to the next big story. Windows 11 is now publicly available. Is it going to be the famous case of one decent OS, one bad OS, then a decent OS again, and Windows 11 is going to be a dud? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. I've covered the new features of Windows 11 in depth on a couple of previous episodes of the podcast, so if you want to hear about what's new in Windows 11, listen back to previous episodes, or hey, it's available now, just try it out for yourself. And for those who want to get Windows 11, if you're purchasing a new PC, a lot of them now should be coming pre-installed with Windows 11. If you recently purchased a Windows 10 PC that's eligible, you can get a free upgrade. They say that you could do that from windows.com or you could go back to your local retailer to get that upgraded. They say you can use the PC Health Check app to check if your current Windows 10 PC is eligible for the free upgrade. Should be unless it's a newer machine. Although I've also heard from people who had relatively new gaming machines that you think would be able to run Windows 11 no problem, who have found that it's not supported. So definitely check out that PC Health Check app. And they say they've got support from partners that include Acer, AMD, Asus, Dell, HP, Intel, Lenovo, Qualcomm, Samsung, and obviously their Surface devices too. But an early word of warning, AMD have warned that its Ryzen chips might have issues with Windows 11 that could cause performance drops of up to 15% in some cases. The Verge reports that AMD and Microsoft have found two main issues with Windows 11 on Ryzen. The first is that Windows 11 may cause L3 cache latency to triple. AMD says that the issue could cause 3 to 5% or worse performance in most affected applications, while some games could see performance dips of 10 to 15%. AMD and Microsoft have already confirmed that they are actively investigating these known issues for resolution via software updates in future. So expect that to be available via Windows updates, I hope. So a lot of vendors announced day one support for Windows 11, like including like as you, as you did expect Cisco, but also I saw specifically that Citrix are supporting Citrix virtual apps and desktops and Citrix workspace app from day one for Windows 11. Tom Warren shared that some people have reported that they ended up with the Windows 10 taskbar on their Windows 11 machine and the Windows 10 start menu after upgrading to Windows 11. Others have joked that they were the lucky ones. Not everyone's enjoying the new star menu. Again, Microsoft have extended their existing application compatibility promise through their AppSure program. So if you do find apps that you can't get to work on Windows 11, you could seek assistance from Microsoft's engineers. They also announced a preview of something called TestBase, 
which when you use it will spin up a secure VM and test your applications with the latest pre-release and generally available builds of Windows in a Microsoft-managed Azure environment. TestBase, they say, helps you understand your application's ability to continue working even as platform dependencies such as the latest Windows updates change. It helps you test your apps without the hassle, time commitment, and expenditure of setting up and maintaining complex test environments. Additionally, they say if you enable to automatically test compatibility against Windows and other pre-release Windows updates on secure virtual machines, you also benefit from access to world-class intelligence of your applications. So I'm guessing that's to their benefit to provide that because as they've kind of alluded to, they're going to use data from that and be able to use that to address issues quickly and also just kind of see where maybe some common threads of problems in other applications might be. Unfortunately, I have already heard of a few apps that worked on Windows 10 not working on Windows 11. They said that they did everything in their power to ensure compatibility of applications going forward, just like they do with Windows 10. So I'm assuming it's not gonna be the same big uplift like Windows XP to Windows 7 was, but I guess we'll wait and see. Windows 11 is now available in Windows 365 too. Unfortunately, it's only available for the enterprise SKU right now with the business SKU getting the new OS version soon. If you do have an old machine and want to risk putting Windows 11 on it, but it doesn't meet the requirements, there is a way around it. And it's not necessarily a hack because Microsoft have actually published it themselves in a blog article. So I'll share that with this episode. It's just a registry that you have to set. And you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. It was announced this week that Citrix CEO David Henshaw has stepped down from his position and as a member of the Citrix Board of Directors. CRN.com reports that the reason for Henshaw's leaving was not immediately known. Citrix declined to comment on his departure. Completely just speculating here, but I have covered it on a previous episode of the podcast of this idea that Citrix was entertaining the idea of selling again. Obviously, the stock has not been performing all that well as of late, and the Q4 results, presumably, they already have a read on that, so maybe there's going to be something pretty impactful to be announced and the writing was on the wall so perhaps Mr. Henshaw jumped before he could be pushed perhaps just speculation on my part I did get to briefly meet him at a Citrix Synergy before he seemed like a pretty nice guy I wish him all the best in the future I also hope all my buddies who work at Citrix are okay obviously a change in the CEO position can be unsettling And I wish them all the best, too. ThreatPost.com covered a really interesting story this week about a really lightweight and fast, or as they called it, sniper-like speed for a Python script that can strike and attack with ransomware on your VMware ESXi servers and virtual machines that reside on those hosts. So the... Article goes into research completed by Sophos. I won't go through the full ins and outs, but they found some weaknesses in order to get into the environment first. So 
obviously securing your perimeter and making sure there's no way for them to get into your six-eye server is probably the best protection that you can have against this. But it goes on to say that they got in through TeamViewer. <laughs> Isn't that a common thread there? But they got in through TeamViewer and they discovered an ES6i host that had SSH enabled, I believe. I'm going off memory here. I'm not reading the script because I just read this this morning and was like, oh, I already have this episode scripted. I should put this in here. But I was like, ah, I'm just too busy. So I'm going off memory, okay? <laughs> but they basically saw an open ES6i machine that was left open for maintenance and got on there and used their Python. It took about three hours for them to complete from initial breach to encryption, which, yeah, that's pretty quick, all right. They said it makes sense that Python was used, given that Python comes pre-installed on Linux-based systems such as ESXi, and thus that makes Python-based attacks possible on those systems. If you want to read more, because they give a real granular breakdown and a timeline of the attack, it's really interesting stuff. Uh, <laughs> enable multi-factor authentication if you're using something like TeamViewer. They did not have that in this case. Obviously a big no-no. Also major news, but maybe less so for Enterprise. Although funny enough, I was in Azure this week looking at Azure Active Directory for a session I was doing. And I see that you're able to integrate Facebook there. So hey, maybe Facebook is somewhat enterprise related. Also a lot of businesses rely on it for actually doing support and business work. So hey, maybe I should shut up and say that Facebook is enterprise. But this week, several websites went down, including Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram. It appeared that DNS resolution was failing, but at the same time, it seemed a little odd because all three Facebook-owned services went down at the same time, and also some other services not owned by Facebook. But while some of the other affected sites not owned by Facebook came back, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram remained down. What was pointed to as a cause was a BGP configuration issue on Facebook's routers, and the service remained down for close to six hours. And this got really mainstream media attention. I saw that Stephen Colbert in the US even covered it in his monologue, talking about how workers were even locked out for physical access to the machine in order to get to the routers due to the outage. Well, as these services are so widely used, this had a pretty significant effect with much more traffic for the likes of Twitter and Signal and just overall disruption to the internet in general. Not to be completely overshadowed this week by the Windows 11 announcement and VMworld, Citrix also released version 2109 of their product and workspace app that brings with it adaptive audio where you don't need to configure the audio quality policies on the VDA via the Citrix policies anymore. Adaptive audio optimizes settings for your environment and replaces deprecated audio compression formats to provide an excellent user experience. Also pretty cool is the Citrix Workspace Browser, which is a native browser running on the client machine. It lets users open web and SaaS applications from within the Citrix Workspace app in a secure manner. So that's kind of cool. So kind of like how they have the secure browser within Citrix Cloud, but that requires running a browser in the cloud. It sounds like there's maybe a containerized browser that can run locally too and um, run securely. So cool stuff. 
Also comes support for Windows Hello and FIDO2 security keys based authentication. Single sign-on to Citrix Workspace app from Microsoft Azure Active Directory join machines with AAD as an identity provider. Pretty timely given that AADJ became generally available uh, just a few weeks ago. There's also support for WebRTC for uh, Teams use cases too for a better video conferencing experience along with gallery views and more. So it seemed like they also took the opportunity to harden security somewhat. So there's a whole list of changes in that regard. But one specific note of caution is that Citrix changed the default setting. By default, the virtual channel allow list feature is now enabled. And as a result, only Citrix virtual channels are allowed to open in virtual apps and desktop sessions. If there is a need to use custom virtual channels, whether homegrown or from a third party, these need to be explicitly added to the allow list. Now, if you've upgraded and it just broke everything, odds are you're going to probably disable that in, until you're able to get a handle on it. And if you've got third party products that require to be added to the list, you may have to just disable it, work with your vendor, and try to enable it again once you get the information you need. I wouldn't criticize Citrix for this move. It's probably a good thing if you went to Patrick Koble's session at Virtual Expo. He was pointing out some of the defects of the way that Citrix does things due to just being around for so long and having so many legacy settings that are set maybe not the most secure way by default, but you have the option to enable them. It looks like they're now moving to enabling more security features by default. So just means we're gonna have to kind of bob and weave <laughs> and figure it out as we go. There's a new major version of the CLI for Microsoft 365 with new commands and enhancements for working with and managing Microsoft 365 tenants and SharePoint framework projects on any platform. You can do things like list all team members in Microsoft Teams with the API, get all the teams a specific user is part of, list all members of a SharePoint group, and more. But along with the features, there are also some JSON changes and cleanup performed as well within this release. YubiKey announced YubiKey Bio, which is a version of their key that includes a biometric reader for passwordless logins and multi-factor authentication. TechCrunch reports that once a fingerprint is enrolled on the device, the data is stored in a secure element, while the biometric subsystem runs independently of the key's core security functionality. All communication between the secure element and the rest of the key is encrypted to help thwart re replay attacks. The new YubiKey is said to retail at $80. ZDNet reports that Firefox version 93 has arrived, which brings with it the tab unloading feature that I talked about on a previous episode of the podcast, so it should help reduce the consumption of resources on your machine. The feature kicks in when the browser believes an out-of-memory crash is imminent, and it will unload tabs with the least recently used ones unloaded first. Tabs that are in the foreground are never unloaded with tabs that are pinned using picture-in-picture -picture are playing sound are less likely to be unloaded too. 
It is Windows only for now with support on other OSs coming soon, hopefully. The Hacker News reported Google on Thursday pushed urgent security fixes for Chrome, including a pair of new security weaknesses that the company said are being exploited in the wild, making them the fourth and fifth active zero days being patched this month alone. These are CVE-2021-37975 and 37976, and they're part of a total of four patches and there's a concern with a use after free flaw in VA JavaScript and WebAssembly engine, as well as an information leak in the core. Of course, it being Google, if you've been following the podcast for a while, when I cover these types of vulnerabilities with Google, they have not given very many details in the CVE, so just get patching. Windows Package Manager version 1.1 is here. The most notable new feature is access to apps in the Microsoft Store. The client now ships with two sources configured. One of them is Windows Package Manager app repository and the other is the Microsoft Store. The Windows Package Manager is being released to Windows 10 build 1809 and newer and Windows 11 as an automatic update via the Microsoft Store. So far more than 2600 packages are available in Windows Package Manager app repository. I saw this week that David Halporn shared on Twitter that Teams for Windows will now let you reply to a chat in line. Hooray! And finally in the news this week, this is actually just news for the podcast and obviously for you listeners too. Thank you so much for your continued support. But there is now going to be a new sponsor for the podcast going forward. It is my full-time employer, ControlUp. If you're not familiar with ControlUp, they make a best-in-class digital employee experience monitoring and management product. Seems like a pretty good fit. I'm already working for them and they already support me in so many ways with contributing to the community, taking the time to do that, and also for getting this podcast completed. So thank you to ControlUp for formalizing your support by sponsoring the podcast. And here's to many more great episodes, I hope. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Mika Vets blogged about an issue where newly published MSIX app attach applications were not showing in the start menu or that removed applications were not removed from the start menu either. So Mika's blog goes into a solution for this and what you need to do to resolve it if you're running into the problem. CCMExec.com shared a blog post on how to remove the chat icon in Windows 11 start menu using group policy and Intune. Nikki DeWestLink.be had a blog post, a very simple but timely one, on how to create your own Microsoft 365 tenant, a beginner's series. The awesome Andreas Nick had a warning that those using Edge with AppV that is no longer possible to log in using the icon in the top right corner of the virtual Edge. He stated that the com virtualization must be set from isolated to integrated. Anyone who's a customer of his, he's already working on a fix for those packages. He probably already has it done by the time I've published this. I also saw a really cool blog post this week on how to chat with Skype users from Microsoft Teams. 
I covered a story about how Skype is not going away and it got a new facelift. And obviously Teams is coming rolled in with Windows 11. So you might want to be able to have that cross-platform support. So pretty cool. And finally, I saw that my buddy Niall Brady shared a Retire My PC application, which is a self-service app that allows you to securely wipe old computers. So erase all secure company data. Very, very important. If you're getting rid of an old machine, this could be your best friend. Use it. So I apologize. I knew this episode was going to be long because conference announcements and the fact that there was VMworld plus Citrix had an event plus Windows 11 was rolled out. It was a really, really busy week. This is probably going to be the longest episode I've done of the podcast. You know, if you enjoy it, this one took a long time to produce. I'd appreciate it if you could give the podcast a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And I will catch you all next week. Thank you.